Religion is a snare and a racket. And why? Hello, and welcome to Snare and a Racket. I'm your host, Dell, and I'd like to welcome you very much to our first podcast. Um, we are a Use Our Voice Rat Associates production, uh, and so that means we are a grassroots production. So thank you for hanging in there with us while we get our bearings. Um, none of us have any experience in uh, creating podcasts. This is all just from the heart. Uh, none of us are using any specialized equipment here. So, like I said, thank you very much for listening. All right, now, uh, we are, I think we are the first podcast dedicated to uh, exposing, uh, discussing, and supporting the survivors of high-control groups or high-control organizations. Um, specifically the Jehovah's Witnesses, but we also cover topics uh, regarding all of the high control organizations. Um, that could be Scientology, Mormonism, um, ultra-Orthodox uh, Judaism, uh, cults like Nexium, or um, even things like Jonestown. Uh, so we, there's a lot to cover there. Cults are a big thing, uh, especially in popular culture. And um, they're really starting to come to light for the first time, which I think um, everyone uh, that I'm involved in is really grateful for. We're just really grateful for the, the spotlight finally being shown on these dangerous organizations uh, and their numerous, numerous human rights abuses. Um, all right, so uh, as we get started, let me explain first. I said this is a user voice Rat Associates production. Let me explain what that means. All right, so Use Our Voice is a charitable organization that was founded by Chessa Mannion uh, in, I think, May of 2018. Um, it is uh, for survivors of high-control organizations who have experienced childhood sexual abuse, LGBTQ discrimination, educational discrimination, spiritual abuse, and more. It empowers, empowers them to explore their talents, engage their self-expression via arts, politics or public speaking and propel them forward into a field of higher education so they may be able to escape adversity and drive to succeed in their future. Uh, Chessa initially founded Use Our Voice to call for submissions for an upcoming book she's working on which is a collaboration from survivors all over the world including artwork, poetry, songs, stories, etc. Um, there is still an open call for submissions for that so if you would like to send something to Chessa um, please send that to useourvoice at gmail.com um, or follow them on Facebook. I believe uh, Use Our Voice Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash pg backslash uovra. Uh, you can find more information there as well. All right, and the Rad Associates are... Um, a loose collection of people who work with uh, Use Our Voice. They're not necessarily um, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. These are people from all walks of life who have experienced um, the negative effects of high control organizations or whose friends and family have and they want to um, do something about it. Um, and the reason they're called the Rad Associates is because within the Jehovah's Witness cult, uh, there is a very popular saying uh, that's used to divide people, uh, and it's, it goes, bad association spoils useful habits. 
and that will be used whenever someone uh, steps a toe out of line, questions um, the main teachings, really anytime anyone um, does any kind of free thinking, they'll be uh, labeled as bad association and will suffer social detriments because of that. Um, so Chess's idea was to really turn that on its head and instead of uh, worrying about bad association, becoming rad association, working together uh, as a united front to really protect future individuals, to protect children, and to bring awareness to the dangers of all of these high control organizations. Um, so I'm very grateful to Chessa. Um, she's done so much with Use Our Voice in such a short period of time. Like I said, it began in May of 2018, and by June of 2018, Use Our Voice sponsored her to travel to Pennsylvania and stand with State Representative Mark Rossi, uh, Watchtower, uh, the Watchtower Society is another name for the Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtower whistleblowers Barbara Anderson and Martin Howe, and other supporters to demand better legislation and the abolishing of uh, Pennsylvania's restrictive statute of limitations policies and also to spread awareness about the silencing policies of high control organizations like Scientology, Catholicism, Jehovah's Witnesses, or any other uh, organization that is tolerating or silencing abuse. Um, so she's done so much with that already. Um, the most recent thing, which is how I met Chessa, was um, the Memorial on Memorial event, which uh, she began um, to bring more awareness to the um, the child sex abuse that's being covered up within the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, she was, Chessa was um, a, a survivor of child sexual abuse at a very early age, which you can read about um, in various articles, and she's very open about it herself, um, so I feel comfortable talking about it here. Um, and so she wanted to basically stage a vigil for the lives lost due to due to CSA and due to uh, the no blood policy of the Jehovah's Witness cult and uh, also due to the lives lost due to shunning from suicide or drug and alcohol abuse. Um, and unfortunately, um, Memorial on Memorial became also a vigil for her father, Tim Mannion, who uh, passed away, I believe, in February um, with, from complications um, deal uh, from dealing with um, the abuse that his daughter went through and the cover-up that the organization he dedicated his life to uh, proceeded to do to silence these victims. Oh my god, anyway, sorry. Got a little emotional there. Let me try to get back on track. All right, um, so that's a little bit about Use Our Voice and Rad Associates. And then I'd already recorded one sort of uh, uh, draft version of this, uh, this podcast, uh, which was interesting because the f at first I was like, oh, this is great. This is going to be easy. I could just knock these right out. And then I listened to it the next day and I was like, wow, I hate my voice. I say all right like 30 times a sentence. Um, I say um a lot. <laughs> so um, I'm definitely re-recording it now, uh, and if you are one of the people who heard the first draft, then you might notice that this sounds completely different. Um, and thank you to those people. I really do appreciate that. A special shout out to Max uh, from, oh my gosh, what is it? 
Extremely Haunted. Special shout out to Max from the Extremely Haunted podcast, which uh, if you enjoy the television show Ghost Hunters, uh, you will probably very much enjoy that podcast. Uh, it is not about Jehovah's Witnesses. It's just about crazy people chasing spooky stuff. But anyway, um, so let's see a little bit about me. Uh, like I said, my name is Dell. Um, I was basically raised into the truth. I wouldn't say I was a born in because my mother joined when I was an infant. Uh, that's when she started studying. Um, my mother actually really joined, not because she believed in it, but because she knew it was a cult and she wanted help brainwashing me. Um, so I think because of the fact that my mother, as much as she pretended to be very uh, fervent in her beliefs, I think that there was always a whiff of bullshit around the whole situation. And so I never really believed in the Jehovah's Witness teachings even from a really young age, I got into a horrible fight with my mother when I was four years old because I had questioned uh, the teachings uh, in front of my uh, non-witness aunt, uh, who was her sister. So um, I think that was really when I realized that uh, I couldn't be honest about what I thought or what I believed regarding this whole situation and I just needed to buck up and pretend. And um, I did spend a little bit of time when I was younger, um, kind of between that age and like age 11 or so where I uh, really tried to believe um, because I felt like I was the one with a deficiency for not believing in this Jehovah and his uh, Armageddon that was coming and uh, not really seeing the logic in any of the Old Testament um, insanity. Um, so I was pretty gung-ho actually for a little while then until I was about 11. And then when I was 11, I uh, was smuggled uh, the first Harry Potter book as a uh, secret Christmas present from a neighbor. And I uh, read it in secret over the Christmas break. And I thought to myself, wow, if this Jehovah guy uh, is so weak sauce that he is terrified that I'm going to read this uh, fictional book and decide that I'm a wizard and I'm gonna go to Hogwarts, then uh, he's kind of not a big deal, and I don't think I need to listen to what he says um, if he's afraid of a little fiction book written for children. So that was really uh, when I uh, became what they call in the ex-Jehovah's Witness community, uh, PIMO, uh, P-I-M-O, that stands for physically in, mentally out. And I was a PIMO until I was about uh, 16. Um, but yeah, so then I spent a few years uh, between like 11 and 14 sort of being bad association, um, reading all the books I wasn't supposed to read. I became a really hardcore internet atheist and I would kind of vent my frustration with my situation by going online and yelling at people who uh, were religious, um, which I look back on that and I kind of laugh because that's not where my head is anymore. But I, I respect why young Dell uh, had those feelings and did those things. Um, and yeah, so, so then when I was about 14, uh, my, uh, my mother found uh, my diary, which had like just a bunch of stuff that was really telling of the fact that I didn't buy any of the bullshit. 
Uh, I had my list of cuss words that I had been writing down <laughs> because I wasn't allowed to cuss. So I wanted to learn all these mysterious words that were so much worse than any other word. Um, and I had diary entries where I would complain about the elders. And I had my little list of uh, Christmas presents I wanted to get for my worldly friends. Um, and I think I talked about little crushes I had on like um, other schoolgirls and things like that. Um, so yeah, so that got Xeroxed and given to the elders. And then I was pulled out of uh, high school after about four weeks. So I got four weeks into ninth grade. And then that was the last of my formal schooling until I um, started university when I was 16 after taking the GED. Um, so after that, I went to university for a little while, but I was going through some, some difficult abuse still with uh, my mother, uh, which I'm not going to get into too much, but um, bad things were happening. And I, didn't, I wasn't fully cognizant of it at the time because um, as with a lot of abuse survivors, um, the only way I could survive was to make myself forget a lot of the things that were happening to me as I was a child. And so things would happen and I would immediately forget what had happened to me. And this continued on until I was a little older and I had some experiences with psychedelics. <laughs> um, so um, that's, a, that's a little wild, that's a little out there, I know. But I am really grateful for um, being able to recover a lot of those memories because I was able to really put that in that relationship that was so poisonous for me and uh, move on and really start to work on healing and really just learning who I am and what I want to do in my life and finding sort of my purpose. And so I've been really grateful to have been on that path since then. And I've definitely had some ups and downs, um, but I have a very good therapist um, and I can't recommend therapy highly enough. Um, if you have PTSD, like so many of the ex Jehovah's Witnesses do, I, therapy is so important. If there is any way you can get on Medicare, if there is any way you can find free group therapy sessions in your, in your neighborhood or somewhere in your area, therapy is just the most important thing. And I think a lot of people feel really isolated when they leave the Jehovah's Witnesses because that's how they want you to feel. That's the whole point of the shunning. That's the whole point of the bad association. That's the whole point of them telling you um, you can't make friends with worldly people. That's the whole thing where they want everyone to spy on everyone else like in 1984. So no one feels like they have a real connection and everything is based on bullshit. And so I think when a lot of people leave the Jehovah's Witnesses, they think that their experience is so different from everyone else's and no one is going to understand them and they're just such a weirdo. And you know what? It's not true because the Jehovah's Witnesses, for all their crazy idiosyncrasies or idiosyncrasy, you know the word I'm trying to say, um, for all of their weird shit, uh, pardon my French, um, they're not that different from other high control organizations when you get down to the basics. All of the things that you think make Jehovah's Witnesses so different from Scientology or Mormonism or Catholicism that's surface stuff. It's just, it's, it, it's, the, it's the seasoning on top. It's not the actual meat of the situation. <laughs> so I think this is a lot of why um, I really feel that it's important for survivors of high control organizations, regardless of what that organization is, 
to band together and to work together and to communicate with each other. Because I think when we communicate with each other, we'll find that we actually have so much in common, so many shared experiences. And at the end of the day, um, working together, that's the real strength, that's the real power. And I think that that is something that we haven't been able to really have until this wonderful internet age we live in. And I know there are lots of problems with the digital age too, but there are the, the communications and the connections you can make with people I think are invaluable and I think are something that is gonna really help humanity moving forward into the future. Um, that's just what I have to believe. I mean, what else can you do, you know? But, um, but yeah, so I guess that's a little bit about me, um, or at least that's a little bit about my background. Uh, let's see, about me now. Um, I have two cats whom I really love. Um, I have a pet snake. Uh, obviously, I really like animals because that's the first thing I said. is like, I have cats. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of David Bowie. I, uh, I have a lot of random disparate interests. I love science. Uh, I like uh, studying um, mysticism and uh, alchemy and things like that. I find them really fascinating. Um, as for if I believe in them or not, that's really, that depends on the day and the time, uh, you know. So, um, but I'm also very much interested in like the scientific materialism uh, point of view and uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I, I always find it really difficult to talk about myself because I kind of feel like uh, labels or trying to trying to define yourself I feel like is really limiting and that's always what I tell people when they ask me to tell them about myself and then they're just like, ugh. But that's genuinely how I feel, so say la vie. Um, but anyway, I feel like, there, we've covered it. That's about me and that was the, those were the notes I got where I should talk more about who I am. Okay. So let's move on to what is a high control group. And when I first recorded this, I could only get through, uh, there's something called the bite model. And I only got through the B in the bite model. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to handle the B and then you're going to have to come back for the ite. Um, but yeah, and let's see. I also have a wonderful quote that I was sent. Uh, let's see. Where is that? Yes, this is a wonderful quote that I was sent by uh, Louis Padilla. Um, and it's a quote uh, from the book Cult Mind Control by Stephen Hassan. Legitimate groups treat people as adults, capable of determining what is in their best interest. Although every organization wants to retain its membership, legitimate groups never go to the extremes of control through fear and guilt that destructive cults do. All right. And then I also wanted to go through the bite model. Let's see. And I believe that's also by, um, I think that's also by Stephen Hassan. Yes, it is. All right. So the bite model is uh, four different types of control uh, that uh, any kind of high control organization will use. Now those high control organizations are not always religious. They can be uh, multi-level marketing um, things, also known as pyramid schemes. And when you get down to the brass tacks of it, I really feel like religious cults are just multi-level marketing schemes that use religion, where religion or salvation is the product being sold. Um, 
so that's that's just how I feel about that. But um, the bite model, uh, the B is behavioral control, uh, the I is information control, uh, the T is thought control, and the E is emotional control. And when I last covered these, I ended up going off in a lot of different tangents about um, sort of my own experiences or how I felt about the, these different things. So that might happen again. Uh, we'll see. But all right, behavioral control. There are 19 points in this bite model behavioral control um, list of ways you can tell if you are involved in a high control group. Uh, so if any of this is sounding familiar for you, for anything you or someone you know is involved in, you might be in a cult or they might be in a cult. So um, best of luck to anyone who does find resonance with these. There is a way out. You are as free as you believe you are. And there are always people who will help. All right. Number one, uh, regulate individuals' physical reality. Now, that's really, um, I believe that that's really telling them like where they can and can't go, what they can and can't do. Um, and I think within the Jehovah's Witnesses, you certainly get that. Um, the worst I feel like is definitely with kids because kids are the ones who are the most likely to break free. So many rules for being a youth in that organization. Um, no team sports no clubs, nothing after school, because that's going to take time away from Jehovah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit uh, with that. And of course, for adults as well. But um, I left when I was, uh, see, I think when I was 16. Oh, there we go. I forgot to explain that. Oh, yeah. So when I was about 16, and I started university, my mother, who, like I said, was never a true believer. She just wanted uh, more control over me and felt like joining a cult was the way to do that. Um, when I was about 16, I think she realized that the, the Jehovah's Witnesses were never going to be the thing to control me. Uh, and I think she was also a bit fed up of having to play at being a, a good Christian woman. So um, it just stopped. That was over. It was just done. Um, so yeah, so I never really had to deal with it past that. Um, so I, I never was an adult within the organization. I never got baptized. Um, because I didn't want to. Um, they started pressing for it when I was about 11 or 12, and I kept saying, oh, you know, I don't think it's as strong of a commitment to Jehovah if you make it when you're still so young. You know, I feel like it means more if you make the commitment when you're older. And I just kept saying that and saying that until I got away, because I realized that as much as I wasn't planning to stay within that cult um, past when I was, when I had to, I still didn't want that extra level of control that they feel they can assert over you once you uh, take that little dip. All right, uh, number two on the behavioral control list, uh, the bite model, uh, they dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates. Um, I think definitely you experience that when the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you aren't allowed to associate with people who are not within the who are not in the religion unless you're trying to convert them. Um, you're not allowed to associate uh, with anyone who's been disfellowshipped. You have to shun those people, um, and you can't live with anyone worldly, of course. But I don't think that's I don't even know if that's really a thing that comes up because I feel like the the, the control level of that organization is such that that's not an issue that really comes up. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's been something that's happened in your life where you've 
had a worldly roommate and been admonished for that. So if that has happened to you, then uh, I'm sorry to hear about that. I don't know. Please uh, do write in and let us know. You know, if I if we say something that doesn't vibe with your experience, uh, we would love to hear, have your feedback. If you're comfortable with having us read what you sent or you want to at some point, we're going to be able to take calls. Um, yeah, just um, drop us a line. Um, we will have the uh, a way to uh, contact us posted when we post this episode. I haven't actually set that up yet. Um, but anyway, all right. And then number three on the bite control list is uh, when, how, and with whom the member has sex. Uh, this is something obviously any Jehovah's Witness has experienced um, with the creepy talks about, you know, if you can have oral sex or not, and, you know, uh, just all, all the stuff that they don't really have no business getting into. And the thing is, it's also creepy because these are mixed age uh, churches. They call them kingdom halls. It's a fucking church. It's an ugly church, but it's a church. Um, I remember being a kid and having to hear these talks about, you know, how you can't do this or that in the bedroom. And even as a child, I was like, these people are married. Just let them lick each other's genitals. Come on. Is it really any of your fucking business? Once they're married, God is satisfied. It's good. You done the thing. Anyway, um, let's see. Four is control types of clothing and hairstyles. Um, you certainly see that um, with organizations like the Mormons and they have the magical underwear. You see that with the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community where the women have to wear the wigs over their hair. Um, and you see it uh, in lots of other situations where the clothing and the hairstyle is controlled. Um, one thing like the quiverful movement, uh, generally the women have this really big retro hair. And I don't know if you're familiar with the quiverful movement. Uh, they're a little, they're like white supremacist light. Uh, they're trying to make tons of white Christian babies uh, for the upcoming uh, culture war. Uh, the 18 kids and counting kids are all part of this. And as you can see, whenever you have these high control organizations, child sexual abuse is always there, always. And even within the uh, 18 kids and counting family, you had that covered up and it's just predators like to predate. I don't know. Uh, let's see. They regulate diet. Oh, this is number five, regulate diet, food and drink, hunger or fasting. Um, I know the Scientology Sea Org really does this. They, they starve their, anyone who sort of steps out of line. Um, I think Eastern uh, sort of high control organizations will have a lot of uh, extreme fasting. Um, so that's definitely, that's a way to really control people because when you haven't had sustenance, your mind just doesn't work correctly. Uh, let's see, six, manipulation and deprivation of sleep. Uh, this is another thing that the Sea Org really engages in. Um, and I think definitely I know in Bethel, it's, a, it's an issue in Bethel, uh, which is the Jehovah's Witness organization. It's like their headquarters. It's where they have all of the uh, sort of the most, the holiest of the rank and file sort of. Uh, or I don't know if they would be considered rank and file when they're in Bethel. I don't know. But sort of the holiest of the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they go there. To, uh, to make books for free and to do janitorial work for free. And uh, I think they get to live in a dorm. Um, yeah, there's, I've heard a lot of really 
fucked up stuff about Bethel. Uh, it used to be here in Brooklyn. Uh, there's a big building uh, that said Watchtower. And the Watchtower Society actually owned most of Brooklyn until uh, a couple years ago because uh, they've had some had declining membership issues. Uh, they're not bringing in as much money as they used to. So they've really cut back on their publishing. They sold all of their Brooklyn properties, uh, mostly to Jared Kushner. Um, and yeah, so they have moved upstate now. So they're on a compound now upstate, which is a little scary. And it makes me really concerned for the, the Bethelites who are still up there. Because I know a lot of times when Jehovah's Witnesses make it to Bethel and they've been hearing all this bullshit about how amazing it is, because it's kind of like if you're only familiar with Scientology, if you are not listening to this as an ex-Jehovah's Witness, Bethel is similar to the Sea Org, though not nearly as extreme. Um, and it, there is, though, there's a lot of overworking, there's a lot of abuse, and then I've heard there was a, there's a lot of drinking. Um, I know even though some Jehovah's Witnesses don't drink at all. A lot of them drink way too much, um, which you can see from, oh, who was the guy uh, that was just uh, top shelf, top shelf, ter oh, what's his fucking name? The guy, the elder, no, he's anointed, and then he bought all the booze while during a Kingdom Hall meeting on a Sunday, he went across the county lines to go buy like $900 worth of really good whiskey. Um, and everyone is kind of having a conniption and it's funny. It obviously it clearly points to like an alcoholism issue with this person. Um, they're not necessarily a very good person. They've said some really messed up things in the past. Um, but it's, I don't want to make light of the fact that they are an alcoholic either. Um, that's none of, none of, none of the situation is good. Everything sucks there. All right. And let's move on to number seven, financial exploitation, manipulation, or dependence. Um, you definitely get that in the Scientologists. I'm sure you probably get that in the Mormons. Um, you get that with uh, Catholicism. Uh, you certainly get that with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the reason they had so much property in Brooklyn and the reason they still have untold properties worldwide is because they have uh, predicted the apocalypse five times so far. Um, starting in 1914 and then I think again in 1919 and then like a few more times and then the last one was in the mid-1970s and they kind of went too far there and lost a big number uh, lost a lot of membership when the the apocalypse didn't happen in the 70s because people were quitting their jobs and donating their life savings and donating all their property to Jehovah's organization because that was the way to make sure that you survived Armageddon and so that's how they hold all of these properties now. And that's really a lot of their grift. Um, and I mean, the uh, Rutherford said it best himself when he said, uh, religion is a snare and a racket. He knew what he was doing. He was starting a cult. He was starting a cult. He was basing it on some other teachings he cobbled together from this thing and that thing and uh, making it palatable and making it sellable. Um, and... Uh, you know what? Great grift. It's, uh, it's still going strong. Well, it's not going strong. Um, I don't want to say that, but you know, it went strong for a really long time. So good grift. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Number eight, they restrict leisure, entertainment, vacation time. 
Ah, Jehovah's Witnesses certainly do that. If you have time off, if it's the summer, you're supposed to be full-time pioneering. Pioneering, for those not in the know, is uh, when you uh, devote, I think it's 70 hours or something uh, monthly to going door to door and trying to convert people to this cult. Uh, so you take your literature, you practice. Uh, there's a whole meeting once a week uh, called the Theocratic Ministry School that's dedicated to practicing how you're going to convert people to their cult. And so, um, yeah, so that's all of the time for Jehovah's Witnesses that they would spend on leisure, entertainment, vacation, that instead becomes preaching. And that's what they do with their time. And they don't have any time to think, to relax, to sort of just be themselves. And that's really a lot of how you uh, maintain that high control. And um, because when we would pass the Mormons on the street, they did seem like they were in a better mood because they're not anticipating Armageddon. They're anticipating, I don't know, like their 15 wives or something. So they did seem like they were in a better mood. Um, but, you know, they're definitely doing the same thing, so I'm certain they have the same issues. Uh, same goes for Scientology. Um, and really, multiple, multiple high control organizations. Um, number nine, major time spent with group indoctrinations and rituals or self-indoctrination, including the internet. Um, so, yeah, certainly within the Jehovah's Witnesses, there's three meetings a week plus uh, at least once a week, you need to go out in field service. So that's a lot of time. Um, whether you're a student or an adult with a job, that's just, that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and then self-indoctrination, including the internet. That's not something that the Jehovah's Witness organization really deals with because uh, until very recently, they really cautioned against using the internet at all because if you go online and you search Jehovah's Witnesses, all of the main results are talking about how it's a cult, get away. Uh, so they really were, uh, they, would, they would frame it as saying that there's porn on that internet, stay away from that porn. But it was really about keeping you from doing your own personal research. So they're not big into self-indoctrination using the internet. But um, the uh, this new alt-right certainly is. The alt-right, um, these new Islamic, uh, these radicalized Islamic uh, terrorists, the alt-right and these radical Islamic terrorists are just two sides of the same coin. They're bitter, angry young men who see the world changing around them. They don't understand where their place is in this new world. And so they want to regress uh, to violence and patriarchal norms. And th that's why they go on these killing sprees. Um, and this, that kind of self-indoctrination always happens through the internet. And those are certainly cults as well. They may not be organized cults, but in fact, I feel like that actually uh, makes them a little scarier because there's not one head you need to chop off. It's a whole hydra. Um, but yeah, so that's, and I think that's something we definitely want to cover as well. Um, in future episodes, uh, I would, we'd love to have some people on who um, maybe were indoctrinated into those radical beliefs and have since left and have their own um, stories that they'd like to tell about that process. All right, uh, number 10, permission required for major decisions. Uh, 11, thoughts, feelings, and activities reported to superiors. This definitely is something that happens within Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, everyone is always tattling on everyone else. God loves a snitch in that organization. Um, I, you definitely, in fact, encounter some sort of gang stalking um, 
experiences um, I did as a child. Uh, I was telling a little uh, school friend of mine um, that they uh, would sort of stalk me um, one day and we were walking along in a, a supermarket holding hands and I had just finished telling her that we turn the corner and there are some people from my kingdom hall and then they start the snoop they're so hello hello who are you uh do you go to the kingdom hall to my little friend and all this and that and uh you know <laughs> it ended up with me just being like it's not it's not paranoia if they're actually out to get you um but yeah so that was uh that was a whole situation but yeah, definitely, I'm sure everyone who has been in any of these kinds of con high control organizations will have uh, experiences like that. Um, and it's just downright creepy. It's very, it's very Orwellian. And it's something that I feel like as we uh, progress with um, this internet culture, you find a lot of that even outside of high control organizations. I feel like the left and the right wing of American politics are both becoming increasingly like that, where there's a party line, and if you don't tow that party line for either of the sides, then you are lambasted online, you are, all sorts of horrible things happen. And in some cases, this is, I feel like some cases this is justified because some of these people, the, the party line that they're not towing is some horrible things. A lot of, a lot of it is, dehumanizing to people of other races or religions um and i don't I, I do feel like there needs there should be societal consequences for that but then there's also just where it goes over the top and it's just a mob mentality and i think that's something that is um a concern for our increasingly connected society um so that's definitely something that i feel like we all need to talk about and be more open about so that uh, we can address it and move forward with it because to alert is to alter and uh, Yeah So let's see moving on to 12 uh, Rewards and punishments used to modify behaviors both positive and negative um, Examples of that within the Watchtower Society would be uh, Being given microphone duties if you are enough of a suck-up and you also have a penis or um, Being labeled as bad association if you uh, have a thought of your own um, 13, discourage individualism, encourage groupthink. I sort of covered that in the previous, uh, previous one, but, you know, that's pretty simple. You're not allowed to think freely, not allowed to be your own person. Um, you definitely get that. You see, uh, people in different high control organizations, they all sort of dress the same, they all sort of talk the same, they all style their, themselves similarly. Uh, you don't see a lot of outliers, and when you do see an outlier, they are either someone who is very manipulative and controlling themselves, and that's why they're allowed to sort of be a little different, or they're the black sheep. Um, let's see, 14, impose rigid, <laughs> impose rigid rules and regulations. And the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. All right, rigid rules and regulations, that's really, that's of course, that's a, it's a cult. Of course they're going to do those things. Um, 15, instill dependency and obedience. Uh, 16, threaten to harm family and friends. 17, force individual to rape or be raped. 18, instill dependency and obedience. Ah, that was also 15. Huh, I don't know. I'm reading this from old.freedomofmind.com backslash info backslash bite backslash bite model dot php. 
And so uh, that's my source. And if they got, if they repeated one of the numbers, I'm going to just pass that buck. <laughs> All right. And then number, but you know what? They do instill in dependency and obedience so much that you know what? It's so not nice. They put it twice. All right. <laughs> and then the final uh, number on the bite model of uh model of cult mind control, the final uh, behavioral control uh, point was encourage and engage in corporal punishment. And certainly I know every child in the congregation I grew up in was punished corporally. Now I did grow up in Kentucky and that is the Bible Belt. And you know in the Bible Belt they get that belt. Um, and so yeah, uh, I, I didn't receive as many uh, physical spankings as a lot of the other kids. I know a lot of kids would be beaten with the, the buckle end of the belt or have to go and literally cut their own switch, which is something that sounds like it came out of like something from 200 years ago. But no, they'd have to go and they'd have to go cut a branch. And if they didn't cut one that was strong enough, if they didn't cut the right one, they'd have to they'd get something worse. I don't know. I even know one little boy who would receive enemas when he misbehaved, and I think that really points to something dark and disturbing uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's uh, the B of bite model. Um, we will cover the ite uh, as we continue uh, moving forward with the podcast. Um, so let's talk about what we plan to discuss in the future. All right. So... Oh, sorry, let me just pull my notes up here. I do apologize for this delay while I pull these things up. And yeah, well, let's see. While I'm, while I'm loading this, let's talk a little bit. I know I want to talk. I don't just want to talk with Jehovah's Witnesses. That is where I want to start from because uh, that's the activism that I've been involved in because that's my background. Um, and it's the it's also the people that I've been working with. There are also ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. And so those are the people that I want to have on the show and speak with them initially. But uh, moving forward, my plan is not to just cover the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, as much as I do think that they're an insidious worldwide organization uh, that is uh, costing countless lives and um, harming hundreds of thousands of people, um, they're not the only group that are doing that. There are so many others. Um, and I feel like they all need the light shed on them. And I feel like when we unite, we are stronger together. Um, but yeah, so we want to do some survivor spotlights um, for the Jehovah's Witnesses. We want to speak with some Mormons. Definitely, it would, I, because I didn't grow up as a Mormon, but we would we would pass them on the streets on Saturday mornings. I was always uh, sort of fascinated by uh, their side of things because I definitely felt like they were sort of the other side of the coin there um, growing up. So I really, that is something that I'm fascinated with. And um, let's see, um, I would love to speak with some former Scientologists. Um, I think we hear a lot about Scientology because it's so outlandish. Um, and it is, it is outlandish, but I think also um, it's nice to hear the human aspects of the story and not just uh, the Xenu aspects, uh, as truly entertaining as Xenu is. 
Um, we'd love to speak with people who have experienced Eastern religious cults. Um, I personally am a yoga enthusiast. Uh, I really enjoy Eastern philosophy. I enjoy Buddhism. Uh, I enjoy Taoism. Um, I don't subscribe to any one particular mindset, but I do like studying a lot of different ones. And I think it's interesting to see what the extremes look like when they're coming from a place that is less violent um, because at the end of it they're coming from two different points of view but they end up looking very similar and I think that is really interesting and um, I'd love to speak with people who are in uh, lesser known or who were in lesser known high control groups because there are so many small cults that no one knows about that are just bands of 20 or 50 people um, and those I think can be some of the most deadly because no one knows about it and it's easy to sort of stay under the radar and live off the grid when there aren't that many of you. Um, so yeah, I definitely uh, want to do some survivor spotlights. Um, I want to um, speak with people about how we can draw more attention to these things in a way that is respectful to survivors um, while still capturing the general public's attention. Because I think the general public has this idea that people in cults are either stupid or crazy, and it's something that happens to other people, it's not something that happens to them. And the fact of the matter is that it can happen to anyone who happens to be going through a moment of weakness and meets the wrong person at the wrong time. Because what these organizations always do is they always lead with the love bomb. They find someone who is damaged. They find someone who is going through pain and difficulty. And they shower them with love. And it seems like just this perfect, amazing experience. And people just feel so blessed, like this was destiny. They were meant to find these people. And it's not, it's not a personal failing to join a cult. It's not a personal failing to stay in a cult for years or decades or even your entire life. But it is a tragedy. And so definitely I do want to talk about how to shed more light so that people uh, treat uh, former cult members and current cult members with respect, but also with the understanding that these people are under another individual or organization's control and really work on um, combating that with uh, love and light, <laughs> I guess. It sounds a little cheesy, but I can't think of a better way to phrase it right now. Um, we also want to talk with people who are uh, deprogrammers. I'd love to speak with some deprogrammers. So if you or anyone you know works as a cult deprogrammer, please reach out to uh, Snare and a Racket, and I will have the contact information available when this goes live. Um, and there is something else I wanted to say. What else did I want to talk about? Um, gosh. Ah! This is so annoying. I'm going to pause it. Right, and I remembered what I was going to say. So I'd love to also speak with people who have either worked for multi-level marketing organizations or who have uh, left multi-level marketing organizations or even people who have started multi-level marketing organizations. 
because I really feel that these pyramid schemes are the exact same as any other cult when it really comes down to it. And I think that's really fascinating. I think that sort of drawing these connections between all of these different control groups, um, high control groups, uh, really help people understand what to look for because the pattern, once you understand it, is really, really simple. And I think that's going to help a lot of people save a lot of money and time and a heartbreak. Um, we also really want to put the spotlight on any survivors of childhood sexual abuse or LGBTQ discrimination or educational discrimination. And what we mean by educational discrimination is that in a lot of these high control groups, they will discourage, especially the women, from seeking higher education. I know that I was discouraged from it. Um, I know that uh, the founder of Use Our Voice and Rad Associates, uh, Chessa Mannion, uh, was encouraged to drop out of high school at age 14 so she could full-time pioneer for the Jehovah's Witnesses. And she did that because she is a high achiever. Um, so I think a lot of people who are not familiar with these groups, they hear that uh, someone left school at age 14 and they think, wow, you're a real fuck up. But it's the complete opposite. That is the highest thing you can do for someone who's in this group. That is the holiest thing you can do. Me, I was a slacker. I didn't study my watchtower until we were in the car on the way there. I'd be highlighting in the meeting. Um, and I definitely stayed in school for as long as I was allowed and got right back there as soon as I could. Um, and that's... Uh, really had less to do with my love of school and more to do with wanting to have some time away from the Jehovah's Witnesses and some time around uh, normal human beings. So yeah, so educational discrimination and uh, LGBTQ survivors and childhood sexual abuse survivors. Um, yeah, and we also want to talk, uh, we want to talk about the fights that these people are currently involved in for getting justice. Um, we want to really shine a spotlight on these court cases that are taking place uh, because the court of public opinion is powerful. And when people actually know about what these organizations are doing, uh, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have a database of known pedophiles within the organization, uh, which is stored at Bethel. Um, and they currently pay $4,000 a day to a court in Alameda, California, because they refuse to release that list. Um, when people find out about stuff like this, they're horrified. They're disgusted. They're like, wow, you guys are sending pedophiles to knock on my door to tell me to join your church. Um, so, yeah, I think when we talk about these court cases um, and we gain support for these survivors and fundraise for their legal defenses or legal teams, because they're not, they're not the defendants, but you know, when we do this and when we help these people, these court cases matter. These court cases are setting precedents because we are in a time in society where for the first time, churches are being held accountable for their abuses. Churches have been abusing people for thousands of years. And I'm not saying that religion itself is a problem. I think that there are places for religion in certain people's lives, and I think that it can have unca uncountable benefits. I think that uh, within the black community, uh, I think black churches have done so much for helping organizing and activist efforts. And I think that also the same for 
uh, people who are of the Muslim faith right now, it's a very, it's been a very difficult time to be of that faith within America, and I think it continues to be. And I think that those, uh, oh, I forgot what they're called, but I believe that those that their places of worship are really important for them to be able to socialize with people who have a similar background, and the same for any any sort of. Uh, ethnic or ethno-religious group that uh, has been persecuted, such as the Jewish community, um, who's been persecuted for thousands of years. I think that their religions, these religions have a strong tradition of a lot of beautiful things as well. And I think there's a lot of beautiful things in Catholicism. I think one of my main gripes with the Jehovah's Witnesses is that there's no beauty to their cult. Um, there is some fun campiness to a lot of their older art, um, and there's certainly some fun campiness to their current videos, such as the, uh, the one that was the uh, sign language video on the dangers of masturbation, which if you haven't seen that, I really strongly recommend it. It's very entertaining. But, um, but yeah, as much as I do think that there can be a lot of beauty within religions, I also think that there's been so, so much murder and rape and subjugation and destruction of ideas and concepts and repression of science and medicine. And we're still experiencing that. Um, currently, right now in New York, um, a lot of these, I can't remember what they're called, but they are the, the schools for the ultra-Orthodox Jewish children. And they're being uh, shut down by the city because they're having these horrific measles outbreaks and these schools won't release the vaccination records for their children because right now there's a really unfortunate anti-vax meme going around within the ultra-orthodox community. Um, and I mean, and that's not limited to just religious people because there are certainly plenty of spiritual but not religious, which is also how I personally identify. So if you're personally spiritual but not religious, don't feel like this is a diss. But there are certainly a lot of spiritual, but not religious, anti-vaccination types right now. Um, and you know what? I don't trust the government all the time either. But you know who I trust less? That bitch polio! That other bitch measles! I don't trust them bitches! They will kill you! They don't care who you are! So you know what? At the end of the day, those are my thoughts on anti-vaxxing. Um... <laughs> um and anyway, I feel like we're kind of reaching the end of this podcast. Um, I think I have uh, managed to sound a little less irritating to my own ears this time. So I hope that that uh, plays out the same way for all of you wonderful, wonderful listeners. Um, and I'd like to uh, strongly uh, welcome and suggest you come back next week. We are going to interview the amazing, inimitable Chessa Mannion, the founder of Use Our Voice and Rad Associates, the leader of the Memorial on Memorial movement, and just a fucking angel from heaven. She's an angel. I mean it. I'm sorry if that offends your atheism, but you know what? There are no other words. There are no other words to describe her. She is just a pure being of light and love and badassery. So I would love to have you guys come back and listen next week um, when we have Chess Mannion on. And if it's not exactly next week, I apologize. I did say that this was going to debut on Friday because I got through the first draft of the recording so quickly. I was like, I can just knock these out. It's so easy. And then I got uh, kind of, um, 
I sort of went down in the dumps after that. I sort of, uh, re I think it brought up a lot of stuff for me that I wasn't, didn't realize I was gonna sort of get, feel so triggered by uh, some of the stuff that I was talking about. And so it sort of drained me and I, I went back to go re-record and I just kept putting it off and putting it off until now today, which is a uh, Monday night. Uh, and today is uh, the May 8th, uh, 2019. Uh, but we're gonna party like it's 1999. Um, but anyway, all right, thank you so much for coming and listening and supporting us. Um, and if you have any comments, if you have any submissions, um, please use the contact information that I will post when I post this uh, podcast. Um, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. And please be safe and secure and know that you are loved, no matter what anyone has ever told you. You are loved, you are important, you matter, and it's time to use our voice. Thank you so much. <laughs>